Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, our long, long national nightmare is over. Aaron Judge finally hit another home run. He got to 62. And now it's done. <laughs> Just enough. Enough. I. It's been a long time since I've seen people, baseball people, national media, trip over themselves to talk about, write about, and just give these nuanced, layered, emotional takes about just how important it is to have sit to have hit the seventh most home runs in a single season. Because that's what Aaron Judge has done. Because 62 is not the record. It's the record for the American League. It's the record for the Yankees. But it's not the record for Major League Baseball. Sorry to tell you. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond Parch III, better known as RP3. I'm joined inside the studio by the producer extraordinaire. Miss Hannah, five names. She's here. She's representing. She's rocking it. Yeah, yeah. What, what? We got a good show lined up for you today. Three guests on tap. Ron Higgins from Tiger Details to talk about the top 25 ranked LSU football program. And them taking on Tennessee this Saturday. Saturday mid-morning. They're inside Death Valley. Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Can the Cajuns get back on track? How are they going to do it? Did he see enough improvement against South Alabama to give him hope that they can turn it around in the back half of the season? We'll talk to Jay at 8 o'clock. And then at 8.30, Big Easy Blitz with our buddy Andrew Juge from the Saints Happy Hour Podcast. Saints, of course, have started off 1-3, and three, which is not optimal, but here's the thing. Despite looking like trash for a quarter of the season, they're still only a game back of Tampa Bay because the NFC is, let's be honest, a little bit of garbage so far. So those are our three guests. Of course, we'd love to hear from you. Hotline's always open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Give us your thoughts. Want to talk baseball? Want to talk college football? Want to talk NFL? 
We're here for it. Of course, Wednesday is always our foodie poll question of the week. And it's about, well, it's about deliciousness. It's about tastiness. It's about fundraising candy. We'll get to that a little bit later on today's show. But let's start off with the Aaron Judge home run. He hits it, finally breaks through, one game left on the regular season. He gets to 62, passes Roger Maris for the most in American League history. The Yankees still ended up losing to the Texas Rangers 3-2, to two, but that's really irrelevant. Yankees have already locked in the number two seed. They're gearing up for the postseason. So 62, that's a great achievement. Please don't misunderstand. It's a great achievement. And from all accounts, Aaron Judge is a stand-up dude, a great teammate. The Yankees are going to have to pay a king's ransom to him this offseason because he decided to bet bet on himself and turn down their initial offer. I'm sure the Yankees will find a way to pay him a, you know half a billion dollars. Great player in the prime of his career. Hitting 62 home runs is a big-time deal. It's a big-time deal. Let's make no bones about it. It's a big-time deal. But my issue is the reaction to it, and not from Judge himself, by the way. Aaron Judge himself, when asked about this, says the record holder is Barry Bonds. So the guy who just got to 62 acknowledges that the record, the home run, belongs to Barry Bonds. Yet everyone else is trying to make it that it doesn't. Roger Maris Jr., who has been beating the table about this for weeks now, the son of the Yankee great Roger Maris, tweeted out, has been very, very vocal on Twitter. And last night he said, congratulations to Aaron Judge and his family on Aaron's historic home run, number 62. It has definitely been a baseball season to remember. You are all class and someone who should be revered for the majority, and majority is all caps, of the fans. We can now celebrate a new clean home run king, all caps. I have problems with this. One, as it stands right now on October 5th, 2022, at 6.10 a.m., we believe Aaron Judge is a clean player. But we have no idea. We have no idea. There's been guys that have been busted for PEDs that look like they took PEDs, and there's been guys that have been busted that didn't look like they took PEDs. We don't know what someone does behind closed doors. I don't know how many times we've been burned about these things when it comes to idolizing sports figures. Because every time we put one up on a pedestal, nine times out of ten, 
they do something and something is revealed in their personal lives that make us sick to our stomach, that make us go, ugh. It happens over and over and over and over and over again, whether it's sports or entertainment or politics, it doesn't matter. Over and over and over and over again. So the, the arrogance in this to sit there and say that the clean home run king, not to mention the hypocritical nature of it, because when Mark McGuire, and I remember it like it was yesterday, when Mark McGuire broke Roger Maris's mark of 61 home runs during the great home run chase that brought everyone back to baseball that had left because of the strike in 94. And McGuire and Sosa brought everyone back. Because people left. People stopped watching. They were that angry with the game that they stopped watching. And McGuire and Sosa's home run chase just captured the national consciousness. People came back to baseball. It was a great thing. And, of course, Mark McGuire looked like he'd been on the Incredible Hulk diet plan. And Sammy Sosa all of a sudden could hit 60 home runs for no good reason. But the night that he broke Roger Maris's record, Mark McGuire did, where he hit the little bit of the, just the what I call like a screamer, barely got over the fence. Do you know who gave him a big old hug and congratulated him after he hit the home run? You want to take a guess? Roger Maris Jr. There was no qualms when there was whispers 20 years ago about all those guys roiding up. Because steroids and the whispers of guys taking steroids was around in the 90s. It was not a big revelation to most people that paid attention to baseball. Yet it was okay then, but now it's not. Now it's not. And now, whether it's Major League Baseball, putting forth so much effort in social media and graphics and all this other stuff to celebrate, it's as if they're trying to erase Bonds, Sosa, and McGuire. And as much as you may not like them, as much as you may think they're cheating dirtbags, Last time I checked, right here in the Major League Baseball record books, hold on, wait for it, Barry Bonds still has the record for most home runs in a regular season, 73. Mark McGuire has 70 at number two. Sammy Sosa, 66. Then Mark McGuire at 65. Sosa at 64. Sosa again at 63. And then there's Aaron Judge at seventh place with 62. It's right there in the Major League Baseball record books. So this whole thing that Aaron Judge is not asked for, by the way, once again, when he's been asked about who the record is, who the home run champion is, he will tell you Barry Bonds has that record. So this isn't an Aaron Judge narrative thing. And once again, I got no beef with Aaron Judge. I think he's a heck of a ball player. Heck of a ball player. And it's great for baseball to have a guy like this. But this whole narrative with Roger Maris' son and other baseball guys out there, baseball reporters, I use that term loosely, reporters, that want to just kind of, hey, totally forget about Bonds and Sosa and McGuire. It's not how it works. 
It's not how it works. You can't prove who didn't or who did take steroids. We know based on reports that Bonds did, even though Major League Baseball never fined him, never took care of it. We know McGuire, Sosa have, even though they've denied over the years. We get it. But this whole whitewashing of this, this whole thing of wanting just to wash it all away and pretend like it didn't happen and pretend like it didn't exist, that doesn't work. You put in the commissioner of Major League Baseball who oversaw the steroid era, didn't do anything about it, he's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Bud Selig is in the Baseball Hall of Fame. The man who had a labor strike on his resume and oversaw the steroid era is in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Joe Torre, skipper of steroid users. So are others. You know where they're at? Wait for it. They're in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Yet, the players, so the managers who won titles and got a bunch of wins are in the Hall of Fame. The commissioner who oversaw baseball and all the profits that got put in his back pocket and the owner's pocket, he's in the Hall of Fame. But the guys who brought baseball back 20-some-odd years ago and the guys who have all the home run records, not Aaron Judge, who's seventh all-time for single season. He has the new American League record, not the overall record. They're not in. This is my problem. Barry Bonds was a world-class dirtbag. By all accounts, a world-class, first-rate jerk. These guys lied and cheated. Not debating that. But the records are still the records. What happened still happened. You may not like it. Those records may make you feel icky inside. You may want to go, ew, that's fine. Go right ahead. But they're still there. I feel the same way when it comes to the NCAA stripping teams of championships or Final Four runs and saying that they have to vacate those wins. That's the stupidest thing in the world as well. I saw the Fab Five from Michigan play for back-to-back national championships. You can take the banners down all you want. I still remember those postseason runs. I still remember those championship games. So years later, you want to vacate wins for recruiting violations? You can't wash away history. It's just not how it works. History is history. Sosa existed. He hit home runs. McGuire existed. He hit home runs. Barry Bonds existed. He hit home runs, and they hit a bunch of them. You don't have to like them. You didn't have to like it when it happened back then. But the records are the records. Plain and simple. I don't understand why we can't celebrate Aaron Judge doing something that deserves praise for hitting more than 60 home runs in a season, which less than 10 people have ever done. We can celebrate that without trashing the other guys. It's real easy. I'll break it down for you. Congratulations to Aaron Judge for hitting 62 home runs. That's a new American League record. Bravo. 
There you go. Done. But instead, people are utilizing, utilizing, well, I'm so, I'm so ranty this morning, I can't even formulate coherent thoughts. Are using, there we go. This is an opportunity to get on their soapbox. This is an opportunity to sit there and bash and try to wash away Major League Baseball records. And guess what? That ain't going to happen. Because the records are the records. Plain and simple. You don't have to like it. But it is what it is. We got to take a timeout. When we come back, Houston Astros. Ooh, Justin Verlander. <laughs> Put on quite a performance last night as the Astros got back on track with a W. Nearly had a combined no-hitter. We'll talk about it next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Lafayette Marble and Granite offers the largest selection of granite, quartz, and marble in Acadiana. And they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. As you've heard me tell you before, LMG provides more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, your bathrooms, and your man caves. LMG also now has an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their grout-free showers. That's right, no muss, no fuss, and no odor. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com. To learn more about all the sensational services and the great products they have to offer, live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Go visit lmgelite.com or simply stop by their soon-to-be-renovated showroom located on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford. Lafayette Marble and Granite, they're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Aaron Judge breaks the American League home run record last night, hitting his 60-second home run. While that was going on, the Houston Astros, after dropping the first game of their final regular season series against the Philadelphia Phillies, they turned right back around and had their ace take the bump, and he put on quite the show. Justin Verlander picked up win number 18 as, let me give you the stat line here, five innings of no hit ball. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Goes out there, picks up win number 18. Five innings, no hits, no runs, only one walk. He struck out 10. 10 in five innings of work. Reduced his season ERA all the way down to 1.75. It's pretty good for a guy who's almost my age and is coming off Tommy John. And the Astros had an opportunity for a combined no-hitter. Because they went ahead and pulled Justin, as was the plan. Let him get out, go out there, get a start, get about five or six innings, and go ahead and pull him. He only threw 77 pitches. They turned it over to the rookie sensation Hunter Brown, who's now fully taking on his bullpen role with the team after getting a couple of starts once he got called up from Sugarland. He went two and a third. 
no hits, three strikeouts. Then Naris came in, two-thirds of an inning, no hits, no runs. And they headed to the ninth with a combined no-hitter intact. And then they brought in old Will Smith. And I asked our friend Brett Chancey from the Locked On Astros podcast about Will Smith yesterday. When I said, hey, Will Smith has had some struggles, whether he was in Atlanta before the trade deadline or since he's been to Houston. Is he a guy that they're going to put on the roster? Is he going to be on the postseason roster despite the struggles? And Brett says, yeah, I got him in. And you can read Brett's article, by the way, at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com where he talks about the pitching rotation, the pitchers, and the bullpen that will be used possibly for the postseason roster. And then they hand it over to old Will Smith, and uh, he, he gives up three hits. <laughs> no runs. No runs. But the combined no-hitter out the door. Hit, hit, hit. He did get out of it by striking out three through 20 pitches in a one frame. Ooh. That's a that's a lot. 10 nothing win for the Astros as they will wrap up the regular season today against those Phillies. First pitch is going to be 3 o'clock. You can listen to that game live right here on the game. Kevin Foot and yours truly will be in the house to watch it. It's going to be an experience. I'm not even an Astros fan, and I'm excited about this because we've been trying to do this all year and haven't been able to go with Kevin to a game. You see how Footsie reacts to his Astros talking about them the day after. You have seen him on Facebook reacting to how his Astros are playing. You know how emotional he gets about his Stros. I've never seen him watch an Astros game in person at the ballpark. This could be a legendary. Yes, we will document this adventure for you with photos and definitely videos that we will share on the game's social media pages later on today. That alone is worth the trip. That alone is worth the trip because it's a meaningless game. They already got the one seed. They're already secured. They're going to have home field advantage throughout the playoffs in the American League. They'll rest some of their guys. It's a meaningless game. I have a funny feeling it won't be meaningless to our guy, Kevin Foote. And I can't wait to sit there beside him and get to witness it firsthand. That is, that is worth a drive to Houston by itself. Let's quickly head out to the game. Hotline, welcome on Randy to the show. Randy, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind? Uh, good morning, Mr. Park. Um, I share your opinions of Rob Manfred and MLB leadership in general, and I wanted to bring up my problems with the playoffs right now. Um, everything's set, but they still won't give us a time for games yet. I know. And that's because they're trying to eke out every little point of Nielsen ratings they can get. Um, I mean, I realize that the Rays and the Guardians are probably going to be the least rated of the first round of the playoffs. Uh, so, you know, they can make them the early game. There are no West Coast games, so they can't have any 930 games like if the Dodgers were playing or the Mariners were at home. 
But it's just ridiculous that they haven't given us the times yet when everything is set. And the same thing goes for this whole five and six seed thing. Um, why is the six seed, if they win, not going to play the one seed? They've got the bracket set to where the six seed is a better position than the fifth seed is. I, I mean, who wants to play the Astros in the first round or the Dodgers? You know, it, it, <laughs> you're the six seed. You, you can avoid them unless you get to the CS. Yeah, I don't understand the thought process behind that as well because you're right because you – you, instead of you're the six seed, you're thinking all oh, the five six should play the, the the but that's not how it's working. Like I just don't understand, and that's curious to me. And the other thing is, there's no need since we know who the teams are. There's no need whatsoever why we don't know times. Like we should know the times. I'm sorry, I'm old school enough. We should know the times for the AL uh, DS and the ALCS in the World Series. Well, like we should already know them. Like just 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 done. Why are we waiting? Still, we have no idea when these games are actually going to be played. We know the dates. We just don't know the times. Yeah, and I mean, let's think about this. So let's say you're a Rays fan. You're probably going to get screwed into the, the earliest game on Friday. But at the same time, you know, they tanked their last week of the season. They literally tanked it, you could tell, because they wanted six. They didn't want five, and they weren't going to get four. So – you know, they, they own the Yankees. They, they're more than happy to play the Yankees in the second round if they can get through Cleveland. They don't want anything to do with the Astros. So they, they literally rolled over and tanked the last week of the season. Um, the Phillies, though, they were playing for their lives, so I'm not going to say they did the same thing. But if I was the Phillies, I would much rather play the Braves than the Dodgers, you know, if I made it to a second round. Uh, they're not going to. My Cardinals are going to squash them. But um, still. I, it, when the sixth seed is a better position than the fifth seed, that's a problem. And when the uh, when we're here on Wednesday and the games are on Friday, if you're a fan and you're a season ticket holder and you pre-bought tickets for the playoffs, you still don't know what time to go to the stadium yet. That's and correct. It's Wednesday. That's correct. You still have no idea. <laughs> right. Uh, it's a bit. It's a bit of a train wreck, as as always with our buddy, our buddy, Mister Manford. Randy, appreciate the phone call, brother. Hope you enjoy your day, my friend. You too. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Why don't we know the game times? Like for real. Uh, <laughs> like it's Wednesday. Can you imagine being one of those season ticket holders for the teams that are playing in that first round? in the wild card round and you're like i really like to go to the game what time is it okie dokie still don't know like why don't you have the game time set yet i just don't understand baseball gets in its own way so many times it's not difficult really isn't they make it difficult it really isn't we got to take a timeout. when we return here on rp3 and company is it time for the foodie poll question of the week? It sure is. Foodie poll question of the week is coming up next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Want to join in the discussion with RP3? Then just give us a call on the hotline. You know the number. Two, four, niner, five, six, seven, eight. I can't hear you. You're trailing off. And did I catch a niner in there? Were you calling from a walkie-talkie? No need to be embarrassed. Just call us 
at 337-706-0111. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's time for you to sign up for the Game Rewards Club. You hear me talking about it all the time. You need to go sign up. Here's why. First of all, all the cool kids are doing it. So, Hannah Five Names has done it. And you want to kind of be cool like her. That's the first thing. The second thing is, we have great stuff to give away inside our Rewards Club. Every single day, every single week, every single month. From concert tickets to Astro tickets to so much more. It's all inside the Rewards Club. It's easy to sign up. We even have a video to show you how to do it. You just go to our website, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. You click on a button, you sign up, it's done. It literally takes you like a minute. That's it. And once you become a member, which is free, you can score great stuff, like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse down at Cypress Bayou, a $50 gift certificate to Half Shill Oyster House, a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. You can take your lady out for a nice dinner, show her a good time, show her how much you appreciate her, and it won't hurt your back pocket. It won't hurt your wallet. They're right there for you to win. In our clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. But you can't win them unless you go visit, unless you go sign up. It's free. It's easy. Help us help you. Go become a member of our clubhouse today at 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com. Let's talk about our poll question of the day, which on Wednesdays is always our foodie poll question of the week. Yours truly has been the Candyman. Daughter has her fundraising for dancing. And their main fundraiser is World's Finest Chocolate. That's right. The box of 60. Your milk chocolate, your dark chocolate, your caramel, your WF crisp, your wafer, your almond in that glorious box. So it's been fundraising time. And we've been doing the fundraising. I've been bringing the box of chocolate now on our second box. No, actually our No, we've sold 3 boxes now. Sold finished off the third one yesterday, hit the neighborhood yesterday. So we got a fourth box that we're working on. So this is the big fundraiser. Going around to family, taking it to work. Tina's going to take the fourth box to work today. So we've been doing it. Now, I'm surprised by people and their favorites. When you get the box of the world's finest chocolate, you only have like one row of milk chocolate and one row of dark chocolate. Okay, that's it. You have multiple rows of almond and caramel, and crisp, but you only have one row of milk chocolate, dark chocolate, and one row of wafer. 
wafer, for those who aren't familiar with the world's finest chocolate, is essentially a Kit Kat bar. They just can't call it a Kit Kat bar. So I'm always, I've been surprised by the ones that people want to go with. Because at first I thought it's going to be milk chocolate and it's not even going to be close. That's going to be the runaway one. But that's not been the case. Some people really love the caramel. Some people really love the crisp. Some people really love the dark chocolate. Others are like, ah, I don't want dark chocolate. Eh, gross. Others love it. So that led us to our poll question of the day on Wednesday, which is our foodie poll question of the week. What is your favorite world finest chocolate bar? Right now, 29% of the votes going to milk chocolate. 29% of the votes going to caramel. 24% going to WF Chris. And 18% is going to other because Twitter only allows us four. Can we get more poll question options as, long, as well as the edit button there, Elon Musk? Can you make that happen? Who's now buying Twitter again, apparently. Are you surprised by this? Because I feel like I'm surprised by this. Because other is wafer, almond, and dark, 18%. There's not a clear-cut clear cut front runner here on the foodie poll question of the week. Let's get to some comments. You guys have already been up and raring to go. Ton on Twitter goes, I know Judge is dominating the news. But when asked where I was when he hit his home run, my answer was on the toilet, not giving you know well what. <laughs> In other news, can you imagine a world's finest did a peanut butter cup? Game changer, Ton. Oh, that'd be that'd be ridiculous. Yes. But wait, God Twitter needs an edit budding. Seriously. You're correct. John Paul Cage Daddy says. There's no better partner for chocolate than the salty, savory taste, toastiness of almonds. He then shared a picture, and I have already been hit up by a school band member. And he showed a picture of three almond, world finest chocolate almond bars. Ton has also commented and said, give me the crisp all day long. That's essentially a Nestle Crunch bar for those that aren't up to date with the world's finest chocolate lingo. The kid. I, <laughs> so yesterday, she comes home. I pick her up from school, and we come home. And I was like, all right, she always gets a snack and when we get home in one cartoon, and then we do homework. You know what she did? She goes to her piggy bank, gets a dollar's worth of quarters, and is like, I want one of my candy bars. <laughs> She bought her own candy bar. I was like, baby girl, those are to sell. Those are to sell. She goes, I got money. It's a purchase. Fair point. I can't, I can't argue. I can't argue with the kid that comes and is like, I have money. I'm going to buy candy for my own fundraiser. I was like, all right. Can't argue with that. Can't argue with that at, at, at all. Just, just, I can't. But seeing her try to sell, oh, man. Just walks up. Let's make a deal. That's what she told one of my neighbors yesterday. She rolls up to him and says, let's make a deal. They're a dollar. How many do you want? <laughs> he started laughing. 
<laughs> I was like, look at this. I just like, uh, she, and then she's like, thank you so much. If you need more, let me know. She's eight. It's gonna be it's gonna be difficult. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna have my hands full in a few years, aren't I? I I, I am. I am. Keep voting on our poll question of the day. What is your favorite world's finest chocolate bar? You know your options: milk chocolate, crisp caramel, and then other is dark chocolate or wafer or almond. Go vote. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. It's our foodie poll question of the week here on RP3 and Company. When we come back, we'll wrap up our number one. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Don't forget... Day baseball here on the game today. Regular season finale between the Houston Astros and the Philadelphia Phillies. First pitch is going to be at 3 o'clock. You can listen to the game live right here on the game. Means you're only going to have an hour of the Jordy Holberg show. Going to flip it right over to first pitch. And no crunch time with Miguez and Mesh today. I know you're sad. I know you're sad. But this is what you're going to get. Kevin Foote and yours truly at the Astros game. And I'm going to be documenting Foote at the game. We've seen him act like a maniac inside the studio. Talking about his team the day after. We've seen him do it on remotes when we've been out and about on the road somewhere. Him going crazy and ballistic about a spring training game. We've seen him on Facebook Live talking about his team. What is he like in person at the actual ballpark? Does being surrounded by other people diffuse him? Does does it make him not be as animated? Does it make him not be as angry? Or does it get worse? It's like watching a wild animal out in the actual wild. Not caged up at a zoo, but actually seeing them in their actual natural habitat. That's what's going to happen later on today, and I can't wait. And I'll be there to document it, and I will share (laughs) all of this for you on social media so make sure that you like and you follow the game on facebook twitter instagram and even the tiktok we're going to be on all of them today as we'll be in houston that's going to be fun (laughs) just saying that's going to be quite fun judge hits home run number 62 last night great Astros win Verlander was phenomenal, win number 18. They had a combined no-hitter going until Will Smith came into the game and said, hey, let's break this up and let's see how many hits I can give up and make people nervous before getting out of the gym. But the Atlanta Braves also won last night, which means they clinched 
They are now the National League East Division champs. The Mets held that distinction for more than 100 days. They were the team that looked like it was a no-brainer. They were going to be the team. No one else. The Mets were going to run away with the East. It was going to happen until it didn't happen. How the Braves came back and overtook that lead, which was Mammoth, is phenomenal to me. Absolutely phenomenal. The amount of days in first place in the National League East, the Mets were in first place in the National League East 175 days. The Atlanta Braves were in first place eight, and they won the division. Playoffs are now set fully. We know the Astros are going to play the winner of the Blue Jays Mariners wildcard series. That series, that wildcard series, will be held in Toronto. So Mariners are going to have to be Road Warriors, but shout out to Five Names' team. And I do believe JPK, the OD's team. Mariners for making the playoffs. There you go. And also, let's just take a moment to appreciate Justin Verlander. At 39 years old, He's the second oldest starting pitcher in American League history to finish this full season with a sub 1.8 ERA. The second oldest starting pitcher to do so. Cy Young, the Cy Young, did it himself at the age of 41 with the Boston Red Sox back in 1908. So it doesn't happen a lot. Is what that's that's what that says. That's, that's what that is. Also interesting to note, there was a meeting yesterday in Baton Rouge. It got reported on involving the football team. We'll talk about that to lead off hour number two. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Aaron Judge makes history by becoming the American League's all-time leader in single-season home runs as he finally hits number 62 against the Rangers. Interesting thing about this is, so the guy that caught the home run ball is like apparently like a bazillionaire. They, they reported on this. So typically you get like a king's ransom for if you catch one of these home run balls, right? Because they're worth half a mil or a mil or $2 million or, or whatever like that. But the guy that caught the ball... Zach Hampel 
And I'm trying to find it here. Maybe maybe it's not him. So, okay. So Bob Nightingale reported on this for our friend from USA Today. He says the historic home run was hit in Section 31, Row 1, Seat 3. The fan who caught the ball has been taken by security to have the ball authenticated. It's expected to be worth at least, at least $2 million. And the guy that made it is like apparently some multi-millionaire or whatever it might be. So it's not like he needs the money. But that's kind of funny. But there was a guy that fell down. I don't know if you saw the highlight. So the home run gets hit, and there's a guy that has already put himself on the other side of the fence there in left field. And he's hanging on so he can try to catch the home run ball, but the home run ball like falls like five feet away from him. And then he just falls backwards into the bullpen. You just see him. He's gone. There, there's no status update about him, by the way. Everyone got distracted by Judge's home run ball and the guy who caught it. I've yet to see any update on the poor the poor guy who fell down into the bullpen trying to be there to catch the ball. And he falls backwards too. Like he's hanging on to the rail. His back's turned to the field. And I guess he was trying to get back in from because you know, because you know, TV's tracking the shot. So you don't know what he was doing before then in, in left field. This fan or this souvenir hunter or whoever he is. But it, it looks like he's trying to climb back in and he just and it, and it just falls backwards. You hope he's okay. You hope he's okay. But, yeah. Not great. <laughs> not great for that other dude. Unfortunately, not great for that other dude who, you know, Falls back into the bullpen and done. Official crowd size was 38,832 there at Globe Life Field where the Texas Rangers play with more tickets sold for that game than any other in the history of the field. The man who caught the historic Aaron Judge baseball is Corey Eumanns who Bob Nightingale says doesn't exactly need the money. He is vice president at Fisher Investments, which manages $197 billion worldwide. So, so, yeah, doesn't necessarily need uh, the money there. But Aaron Judge hits number 62. He's now the all-time leader in the American League. And despite the pleas of Roger Maris Jr., he's not the all-time home run king or single-season home run king. Those records are still there. Aaron Judge is now seventh all-time. Seventh. Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, and Barry Bonds are all above him on that list. You may not like those guys. They may have been cheaters, steroid users, abusers. All that can be true, but it's also factual that they hold the record. And there's six players, six spots above Aaron Judge. So as much as Roger Maris Jr.'s, you know, Roger Maris Jr. would like us to forget about everyone else, 
and some media folks, national baseball media folks, some of these baseball writers that have not voted in Clemens or Bonds into the Baseball Hall of Fame, well, that's not how it works. The records are the records. You don't have to like it, but it is what it is. Astros win, shut out the Phillies last night. Verlander was special, picking up win number 18. They had a combined no-hitter going into the ninth because after Verlander got taken out, Hunter Brown came in and he was magnificent. Then they handed it over to Will Smith for the ninth inning and he promptly gave up three singles. Woof. Didn't give up any runs, though. Got out of the jam with three strikeouts, but still. Stroh's winners. Atlanta wins last night to take the AL East title, which forces the Mets to have to play in the wild card, despite having 100 wins. And then the Mets have to be on the other side of the bracket where they have to play the Dodgers. Not great if you're a Mets fan. But while baseball is wrapping up its regular season, which they'll do so today, and records are being broken and division titles are being won and playoff series are being set, interesting report came out yesterday concerning the LSU football team. I want to share that with you. There's been lots of scuttlebutt, if you will, about... Jaden Daniels and his wide receivers. They were not on the same page, and the passing offense was absolutely putrid against Auburn. Now, it didn't matter because they were still able to get the victory, come back and rally on the road, and pull out the win against Auburn. But the passing game has not been humming along, right? Kayshawn Butte has not been part of it. Some people feel like he's not getting enough targets. Daniels has a rapport a little bit with Malik Neighbors, but that's really it. They have all these talented guys in the wide receiving room, but offense has not looked good. A large part of that has to fall on the offensive line, but another part of that is that Daniels trusting his wide receivers. And look, he's a grad transfer from Arizona State. Something interesting happened. And credit Wilson Alexander of The Advocate for reporting on this. But yesterday, Jane Daniels initiated a players-only meeting with LSU's quarterbacks and wide receivers to discuss the passing game and to work on their trust with one another. They all felt responsible for the struggles, especially against Auburn. Once again, Jane Daniels initiates a players-only meeting with himself, the other quarterbacks on the roster, and the wide receivers to fix the offense, to develop more trust with one another so they don't have a similar outing like they did against Auburn ever again this season. If I'm an LSU fan and I hear this, I'm very happy. It doesn't mean that the offense is going to be corrected. It doesn't mean that the offense will all of a sudden look like a high-powered scoring offense but it does mean that the guy that's at quarterback seized an opportunity to step up as a leader of this team 
had a private meeting with him and the wide receivers to build up more trust and to get this offense on track. If I'm Brian Kelly, I love this. If I'm an LSU fan this morning hearing this, I love this. That's leadership. That's someone stepping up and going, hey, this is on me. Let's fix it. And that's what Jane Daniels is doing. Now, does that mean that he will be on the same page with Kayshawn Butte and they'll get him the ball more? Does this mean that Jack Besh will be featured more? He only had one catch last week as well. I don't know. Maybe. But at least it's being addressed. And at least he's showing leadership qualities here on a team that needs some leaders on the offensive side of the football. They need him. It can't it can't hurt to have this meeting. Obviously, there's frustration with the wide receivers and Daniels. Once again, we also have to be mindful that a lot of this is, let's be honest, coming because of the struggles of the offensive line. So maybe the quarterback and the wide receivers can go, hey, look, if the offensive line breaks down, they struggle again when we play Tennessee on Saturday. Let's do this, guys. Keep running your routes. Keep running around trying to get open. Give me an opportunity to get you the football. I don't know what was said because obviously this was a private closed-door meeting. But the wide receivers also probably spoke and said, hey, man, you got to go through your reads because Daniels does kind of just tuck it and run when he's feeling the pressure. So having these open conversations like this can only help this offense. Now, they're going up against a Tennessee team that has struggled in pass defense. Struggled. They're good up front, but on the back end, the Volunteers, that's their Achilles heel. That's where they have a weakness. The quarterback from Florida, the most passing yards he's had all season came against Tennessee. The Vols rank 128th in passing yards allowed. I'll say it again, 128th. They're giving up an average of 309.3 passing yards per game so far to start this season. Could be a golden opportunity for this offense if they can have some time to actually have the plays develop also, one of Tennessee's best corners is injured out for this game. But the pass defense is one of the worst in the country. If the offensive line can do its job of just protecting them long enough to be able to ha- let Jaden Daniels go through, I don't know, two of his reads, they could have an opportunity to beat Tennessee. Because it sets up perfectly. You're facing an offense that, uh, sorry, you're facing a passing defense that is struggling. Great opportunity for LSU here. Once again, Tennessee deserves to be ranked in the top 10. They're the number eight team in the country. Make no bones about it. But their pass defense is dreadful. Can LSU take advantage? 
Can the offensive line give them enough time to take advantage? And can this closed-door meeting between Daniels and his wide receivers help spark this offense, in particular this passing offense, against a defense that's going to give them all types of opportunities to do so? We'll see. But it is interesting. We'll talk more about that when the Mad Dog Ron Higgins from Tiger Details join us at 7.30 today to talk all things LSU. It's an intriguing matchup for me. Could be a great opportunity for Brian Kelly to get his first signature win. Beating Mississippi State and Auburn is good, but taking down a top 10 team? Oh, that's a feather in the cap right there. And that can change the whole trajectory of their season as well. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to keep the football talk going right along. We're going to talk a little New Orleans Saints. Heard from some players yesterday. We'll share that with you coming up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are two types of sports reporters. Those who are respected for their ability at building relationships with coaches and players. And here's our game plan. Then there are those whose method of reporting is getting hammered with a college football team at Pat O's. We're going streaking! We'll let you guess which one RP3 is. Back to more RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Here in Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So look, if you are a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a new fence, a pool, or for any other reason, you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. So what happens then? Well, here's the deal. Maybe you only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, just call 811. That's all you got to do. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple. It's free of charge. And guess what? It's also the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service. And to promote public safety, Louisiana 811 and the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, remind you, call 811 and know it's below before you dig. New Orleans Saints return home this Sunday to take on the Seattle Seahawks. Geno Smith and the Seahawks, been a bit of a surprise, haven't they? They're 2-2, two and two, but they're playing far better than I think any of us anticipated. Geno Smith looks like a competent NFL quarterback. They're playing tough. They're playing hard, and they're playing pretty well. That's who the Saints have to take on Sunday. Feels like a desperation game for the Saints in a lot of ways because of how poorly they've played through the first four weeks I think that's fair and you look at their schedule Seattle on Sunday Cincinnati the following Sunday both at the Caesar Superdome then they have to go on the road for Thursday night football to take on the Arizona Cardinals and then back home 
to wrap up the month Halloween weekend against the Las Vegas Raiders. There's winnable games there. Would you be surprised if the Saints won all four of those games? No. Would you be surprised if the Saints went 3-1 and one in those games? No. Would you be surprised if the Saints went 0-4 in those games? And the answer you're looking for is no. That's where this team stands right now because they're the far better team than Atlanta, who they struggled to beat and had to come back with the biggest comeback in franchise history. Tampa is not very good. They're just not. They got a lot of talent. They're just not very good right now. They're 2-2. Two and two. They lost to them. They lost to a bad Carolina Panthers team with Baker Mayfield at quarterback. And they lost to a pretty good Minnesota team, but that's a team they should have beat. So it feels like we're entering desperation time. Got to get a win on Sunday. You're back home in front of all the hoodats. They're going to be loud. They're going to be proud. They're going to be fired up. You're taking on a Geno Smith-led offense. You should be able to have success here. You should. Whether or not you do, well... Eh, that's a different story. But the Saints know they got to play better. Make no bones about it. They know they got to. And Eric McCoy, starting center for the Saints, talked about in particular that for them on the offense, they need to have the running game be far more effective. You said, I think the sample size was too small to um, – really get a good estimate on that. I feel like it's something that can, can be a big part of our team and a big part of our game once everyone's healthy. Um, but, you know, we have to avoid getting behind early because when you – I saw someone sent me something the other day where it was like we had triple the amount of pass attempts compared to run attempts in the fourth quarter, which as an offensive line that isn't sustainable um, and it's not fun necessarily. You got to be more effective in the run game. That's always been key for the Saints' offense. Even when Drew is thrown for 5,000 yards, you have to have effective run game. That helps out your passing game, makes you far more balanced or closer to being balanced, makes it harder for defenses to game plan, makes it harder for them to, to overload. It's just so critical. And McCoy's right. And the other big thing for them is remaining confident, right? Because here's the thing. There's there's way too much talent on this team for them to be 1-3. Yet here they stand, 1-3. The good thing, though, is the rest of the NFC is kind of, let's be honest, kind of trash. Start off the season, it just is. Philly's your best team, and then maybe Green Bay and Minnesota? You see the Rams play? Ooh, 49ers? They're all wildly inconsistent. Everyone's like a two-and-two two team here, with the, with the exception of just a few. So you still have a chance to get back into this thing, but you got to start putting it together now. Got to start doing so now. And McCoy talked about what's their process as a player of staying confident despite the fact that you're one and three. We know that it's it's a group effort, of course. Um we have to stay together as a team, as um, a unit, because there's always going to be a lot of outside noise, a lot of talking points, a lot of, um, you know, division outside of here. So as a team, we, we just have to come together. Um, and we also know that, truthfully, truthfully, we are beating ourselves in our three losses. Um, 
the penalties, the turnovers, like those things that kill us. Um, we know that it's something that if we get corrected, uh, when we get it corrected, we, we will be a good team. Uh, do you practice differently? I mean, do you do anything different? That's what you got to do. You got to remain confident because they have too much talent to be this bad, right? They have too much talent to be this bad. On the defensive side of the football, they've played well. Now, they've had some breakdowns here and there, right? They've had some breakdowns in coverage. Marshawn Lattimore did not have himself a good game against Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson is just that dog. He just is. There's a lot of DBs that have terrible games against Justin Jefferson. But for the most part, they've played well on that side of the ball. The pass rush has started to come up a little bit. They're doing a better job. They're not great. They haven't been as good as they've been the last couple years, but they've played well enough for them to win games. They've kept them in games, if that makes any sense. Pete Werner has been a bright spot, leads the team in tackles. Second round, uh, second year player out of Ohio State. The Saints find those Buckeyes, man. And they just ball out for the Saints. But he was asked, being a younger guy, how big of a role, how important has it been to have the veteran guys like Cam Jordan, like a Tyron Matthew who's new to the team but a vet in this league? How important is it having the older players, the experienced players, help them as young guys stay confident? I, I think it starts with them. They're the, they're the key contributors to keeping that confidence. Um, just listening to Demario talk, uh, you're, 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 gravita you're gravitated toward that. And I think we're strong leaders on this team. Um, they're the ones that instill that confidence throughout everybody on this team. Um, we, they keep uh, continuing to repeat that it's a long season and uh, we've been close in every single game. But like I said, that you know we're we're killing we're killing ourselves. We're, we're all these penalties and and explosive plays and and uh, turnovers. That's that's what's going to get you beat. But um, having the confidence and leader leadership on this team will uh, will keep you in the game. That's so important right now because, once again, as dreadful as it's been a start to the season for the Saints, and it has been awful, it has, they still have the opportunity to turn things around. They still have time to get back into this. They still have time to be a playoff team. Heck, they still have time to win this division. But you got to have better coaching, better preparation, got to stay confident, and it's got to start Sunday. I'm going to go ahead and say it. It feels like it's a must-win. I've, I've avoided using that term, but it feels like Sunday's game against Seattle at home is a must win because you got to start putting up dubs against competition that you should beat. The Bengals are not as great as they were last year. They're vulnerable too. You, you could beat them. Arizona's doesn't scare you. Neither do the Raiders. So these are four games the remainder of the month. Saints go three and one. They'll be four and four. They'll put them right in the mix, won't it? Heading to the back half of the schedule. But it's got to start Sunday. Sunday feels like a must win. Right now, we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, 
the Mad Dog, Ron Higgins. Our buddy from Tiger Details will join us. We'll talk all things LSU. That's coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Half the week is in the books, which means it's time to talk Bayou Bengals with Tiger Details columnist, the Mad Dog himself, Ron Higgins. Here is Hold That Tiger on RP3 and Company. We are efforting the Mad Dog, Ron Higgins, columnist for... Tiger details who covers LSU but while we secure him on the line to talk all things LSU we do have someone waiting on the hotline I want to say to talk about the poll question of the day once again the poll question of the day because it's Wednesday it's our foodie poll question of the week what is your favorite world's finest chocolate bar this is in reference to my daughter who's doing selling world's finest chocolate for her dancing fundraiser. I've been bringing some to work. Some people are happy about that. Others are give me angry looks while they give me money because I'm ruining diets left and right. Others we've sold in the neighborhood as we did yesterday when my daughter straight up just killed it. We went to one neighbor. She rolls up to the house. She's like, would you like to buy some chocolate? And he's like, sure. And then he comes back, he brings his wallet back, my my neighbor Randy, and she's like, so, how many do you want? Let's make a deal here. (laughs) And I'm like, for real? She goes, let's make a deal. They're $1 each. How many would you like? So he buys, like, I think four of them. She goes, thank you very much. And if you need any more, you know where I'm at. (laughs) She's eight. Eight. Ready to go. And then... She charmed her way so much that my neighbor Randy had his air pump out and went ahead and put air in her tires and her bicycle. What a life. Let's head out to the hotline. Who do we have on the hotline waiting for us this morning? Producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. I believe it's a a person named HP1 known as Hattie Parch. Oh, baby girl, what's going on? Shouldn't you be at school now? Baby girl, what are you doing? Hello? Are you there? I can't hear you. I can hear you just fine, baby girl. What's on your mind? I can't hear you, no. (laughs) I think we lost her. No, I'm here. I was joking. Oh, you, you big stinker. What you got on your mind? The foodie poll question of the day, don't you dare make me hungry because I literally just ate breakfast. Well, the poll question of the day, baby, I'm glad you ate breakfast. Shout out to mommy to making sure that that, that got done. But what's your favorite world's finest chocolate bar that you're selling? What's your go-to? Is it the milk chocolate? Is it the crisp bar? Is it caramel? Is it wafer, almond, or dark chocolate? I have two. Of course you do. Dark chocolate and milk chocolate. Dark chocolate and the milk chocolate. Those are your jams, kiddo? Yes, sir. All right, baby girl. Well, thank you for calling and sharing. And uh, make sure, hey, this afternoon, uh, daddy's going to be, you know, out of town. But I expect you to sell some more chocolate today in the neighborhood, okay? Okay. 
Okay. Bye. After a while, crocodile. <laughs> oh, love you, baby girl. Thank you. She had two. You can only pick one. She's like, no, no. That's not how poll questions work for me. I'm HP1, Hattie Elise Parch. I'm going a different way. Shout out to her. It's her world. I just, we just live in it. It's time now for us to go talk all things LSU and a man who's, you know, a connoisseur when it comes to candy bars, our good friend, the mad dog, Mr. Ron Higgins. Ron, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I always love that lady with your daughter. It makes me feel so inadequate. She just she just bubbles. It just, just she just bubbles. It's like this 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 energy. This I can't wait to get up every day and just blow the world away. Energy she has. It's awesome. You know what else is awesome? Thank you for that. You know what else is awesome? You're rocking the Savannah Bananas Bananas hat. Now, did you see Mad Dog that they're going on like they're doing this big tour? for all their yeah. games next season and that they're going to Nashville and that they're going to be going playing in Sugarland and everything else. Like they're taking their extravaganza, their show on the road to a lot of other minor league baseball ballparks next year in 2023. It's a battle of caps. Savannah versus the Sugarland space Cowboys. I'm still disappointed in Sugarland for not naming their mascot more Reese. I thought that was a missed opportunity. So, well, the- because the announcer can't say Maurice, you know. <laughs> It'd be so good if they did, though. How, how do you say that? You say Maurice, Maurice, Maurice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, but um, it wasn't pretty. Uh, defense just balled out of control, uh, as as expected. If you take away the one blown coverage, the rest of the game they were legit. They were awesome. They even scored a touchdown. Offense was kind of dreadful, but they did enough to come back on the road to beat Auburn. What's your big takeaway? Uh, the defense played outstanding. They, they had a couple of blown coverages. That's because it was Joe Fouché's first game. There was some sure. miscommunication. Uh, but the defense played tremendous. Uh, defense doesn't show up. Uh, they don't win that game. Uh Thought the punter was excellent. Special teams was still shaky. And Brian Kelly said he thought the special teams played well. Maybe they did, but they had four penalties <laughs> in the first, I think in the first half alone. Uh, and that wasn't good. Uh, uh, but they won the game. That's what we can say. They won the game. Uh, uh, offense, you don't throw the ball more than seven. If you can't average more than seven yards of completion in the SEC, as Ron Kelly said this week, you know, you know, we have a lot of grit, we have a heart. That's not going to beat the Tennessee and Florida and Ole Miss and Alabama, whoever this is coming up. And he's right. Um, uh, I don't know what they got to do to get Jane Daniels to throw a pass more than, you know, you know, 10 yards or, or, or throw, throw something other than a slant or a, a little dump to a running back. I don't know. What else they got to do to 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 make him do that? Uh, what do you make? But what do you make of him initiating a closed door meeting between himself, the other quarterbacks, and all the wide receivers for them to get on the same page? I like that. I like that leadership of saying, "Hey, I got to do a better job. I got to fix this. Let's talk about it." 
do you think that's going to go a long way? Do you think, or does it have? I knew I know it has the potential to go a long way, but do you think it, it will it go a long way? Absolutely. But why are you wait till game six? I mean, could it I, uh, could, could it be he didn't feel comfortable to be the quote unquote leader until now? Like he had to kind of grow into that because maybe he thought that belonged to other guys, the guys that had been with the LSU program for a couple of years, like Kayshawn Butte or somebody I, I, else. Yeah, I understand that. But when you're a quarterback, you're born to leave from the day you're born. I mean, when, when you they, they give you the title of quarterback, no matter where you are, you better be a leader of something. You just can't go in there and, and call plays with the coach you tell you to call. You gotta you gotta be talking, you gotta be picking people up. Uh and you got to be communicating, and uh, and hopefully they'll get it straight this week. I just I just worry about a guy who just started his thirty fourth college football game and still doesn't want to throw a pass more than seven yards downfield. Uh, I mean, I just they got to get this fixed if they if they want to compete with Tennessee and anybody else left on their schedule. They've got to get this fixed. They got some of the best receivers of the SEC who are basically running routes and waving their hands and never seeing the ball. Uh, the running game has gotten a lot better. Uh, offensive line, uh, still kind of shaky. I mean, they have to move some people around because of you know, uh, some injuries, and hopefully they'll get that straightened out this week. The defense has been off the charts. You can't – I don't think you can ask anything else more of the defense. I mean, they, they had a couple of busts, but otherwise, I mean, that defense was tremendous. Uh, they're playing – most of the time you can say that, you know, teams can win a game if one of the elements is not working. If passing is not working, if your running game is good enough, along with your, your kicking game, your special team, you can win a game. Well, I don't think LSU can win that way either because I don't know if their special teams are good enough yet either. So they've got to have every phase on board this weekend. Uh, uh, I think whoever is putting the line out in Vegas is probably smoking crack. Uh Two and a half points, three and a half points. Really? That's it. Is I, it? I, I, is it? I, I guess my that leads me to the the next question though, because Tennessee is great. They've had a great start to the season. They're number eight in the country in both polls. The offense is great, and you can make an argument that Hooker may be the best quarterback in the SEC. And I know Bryce Young plays at Alabama still, but their defense, their pass defense, Ron, is one of the absolute worst in the country. Like, we're talking ranked in the 120s. <laughs> so, this sets up pretty well for LSU, right? If, if you know, you're, you, you're struggling with passing the football, you are facing a team that has an injured corner going to be out for this game and maybe for the season their best one on a pass defense that is one of the worst in the country. It sets up pretty well for you, especially the game being at home. It sets up pretty well if you want to, if you're actually going to throw the ball downfield. You know, I mean, I mean, are you going to basically keep ignoring Kayshawn Butte? Uh, I mean, you can't. You know, you know, he's getting Gordon, but he's not getting his own quarterback. You know. <laughs> oh, it's so funny because I saw that commercial last night too. Um, I mean, <laughs> I mean, and, 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 I mean, yeah, I mean, Tennessee's given up a ton of big plays. They sure have, absolutely, but they. You know, you also LSU's also got to basically stop a quarterback who's really, really good. The intensity leads the nation in total offense and passing yards, with second points scored. Uh, they got a lot of weapons. 
but they got to, you know, they really got to do what they did with Mississippi State. They got to disrupt quarterbacks' timing. You know, they got to, you know, make it uncomfortable. You got to dis- disrupt receivers. You just, you got to disrupt timing and to make quarterbacks uncomfortable. And that's what they got to do with this guy to have a chance. But still, two and a half, three and a half points is really low. I mean, I mean that's basically winning by you know, a, a touchdown or a couple of field goals. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's in Tiger Stadium. And I don't care if it's daytime. So much has been made of this daytime stuff. My God, these LSU fans. Oh my God, they're playing 11 o'clock. What are the TVs doing to us? They don't have the TVs hate us. They hate us. Oh, stop. God Almighty, you're on TV. Just go play the game. Like most of these players say, we play them at 2 o'clock tomorrow and we don't care. Players don't care. A lot of these players like playing early. They don't like waiting all day. They like playing early. Just because fans don't like it, they don't get enough time to drink. I mean, don't put it on, they say the players don't like it. Players like, they, they like, Getting it on and, and getting it over with and, and playing, a lot of them do. A lot of them do. Uh, the, the, the the time of day has nothing to do with this game. LSU has won their last I don't know five or six day, eleven o'clock games, early games. That, they, it has nothing to do with it. You know, there's no mystery of Tiger Stadium at night. You know, ask Alabama; they come in there and win enough at night. You know, I mean, there's no mis- the Tiger Stadium aura at night. Um, it's a better atmosphere, but there's no aura to it. And does it help the team more? Listen, if if they pack Tiger Stadium and they're loud, they don't care if it's day or nighttime. And I mean, look at the Florida game last year in the day. That place was packed. It rocked. Uh, LSU played great. Uh, so I don't think that the what time the game starts has anything to do with it. Uh, this this game is solely on each team's quarterbacks. More more than any game I've seen in a while, you've got to disrupt Tennessee's quarterback. Take you get, and 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 Jaden Daniels has got to throw the ball downfield. He's got to see open guys, and there are open guys. And I think that's uh, you know that's the biggest thing. There are open guys. Guys are open. You know, some receivers may not be. There's some that are, are open. Uh, so let me ask you this, Ron. We'll wrap it up with this. What's your? I know it's still only Wednesday, but what's your early prediction on this game? Uh, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go. Uh, Tennessee twenty-eight twenty-four. So a close game. Yeah, they'll they'll the Vegas will be right on it because they always are. I hate Vegas because. You know, I mean, on the surface, it looks like they're crazy with their with their point spread because, I mean, Tennessee could, could win by double digits if LSU doesn't come to play. Uh, but, I, I mean, it'll be one of those games where guys who are betting the spread are just nervous all the way to the end. It, I, I say 20-24. I'll look, the last three LSU games against Tennessee, that's not three, but – Several of them lately, have, when they've played, have gone down to the last play of the game or last possession. Uh, it's usually a one-possession outcome with these teams when they play. So uh, LSU would do, if it was a one-possession game this week, LSU would do well to, to have that type of game. Uh, uh, you just wish it, you wish it Cade York was still at LSU. That's all I can say. <laughs> you know, because you know you're going to, with, with Kay York, you knew you were going to cash in. Or, or Cole Tracy. 
you knew you're going to cash in at least your field goal if you got within range. This team, you, you can't do that. I just their, their king game's too shaky. You can't even depend on an extra point, really. So uh, you have to get some touchdowns here, brother. Appreciate your time. I'll get you out of here with this. What's your favorite world's finest chocolate candy bar? What's your go-to? If I had the box of candy with me right now with you and we were hanging out, what would you want to buy? Well, I'm not honestly, I'm not a big chocolate guy, I'm more of a sweet tarts guy, but it would probably be anything your daughter would sell. That's the right answer. Anything. That's the right answer. Bad dog. Anything. Appreciate yeah. you, brother. Hey, I'll see you Saturday morning, man. I'll be there with my shoes on ready to go, bud. I'll be ready to report. Well, I'm glad your shoes will be on, then, but you know, you can in, you can take them off in the press box at eleven o'clock. Nobody's gonna notice. Really, <laughs> oh, I'll see you Saturday, brother. See you. <laughs> we gotta take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number two. Update that poll question of the day. That's coming up next, right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Saints legend Roman Harper, and you are listening to The Game, 1037 Live. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, poll question of the day. It's the foodie poll question of the week. What is your favorite world's finest chocolate bar? We asked you. I know all about the world's finest chocolate bar because we've sold three boxes of them (laughs) for fundraising for our daughters dancing. And, uh, yeah, been selling them at work, been selling them in the neighborhood. Hey, look, if you want some world's finest chocolate, you let me know. I'm the candy man. But what's your favorite? Is it milk chocolate? Is it the crisp? Is it caramel? Or is it the other? That could be wafer, almond, or dark. 27% of the vote right now is going to other. 26 for caramel, 26 for crisp, and 21 for milk chocolate. Keep those votes coming on our foodie poll question of the week. That's going to do it for hour number two, hour number three. We'll kick it off with Jay Walker. That's next here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hour number three has arrived. Man, we've covered a plethora of topics. Aaron Judge hitting home run number 62 to set the new record for the American League. Still seventh all time, by the way. Just like to point that out. Yes, those home runs that were hit by people that many consider to be dirtbags, those still count. They're still the record. That's just how it is. Aaron Judge makes history for the Yankees. Astros Verlander pitches himself a gym to get to win number 18 as they shut out the Phillies. They'll wrap up the regular season this afternoon. You can listen to the Astros Phillies 
Live from Minute Maid Ballpark. First pitch, 3 o'clock this afternoon. We'll have it for you here on the game. But as exciting as that is, I'm more excited about going to the game with Kevin. Once again, we've seen Footsie react to his Astros here in the studio the day after a game. We've seen him react to him on Facebook while watching on television. How is he going to be watching a game in person inside the ballpark? Will security have to be called? Will EMTs have to be on standby? I'm not for sure, but I'm looking forward to finding out. <laughs> God bless them. <laughs> no one no one cares about their teams more than Kevin Foote. Right now, though, we're going to talk to somebody who cares about his craft quite a bit. Longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns is going to join us now, Mr. Jay Walker. Jay, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I, I'm great. You know, my goal is for uh, the Mariners and the Astros to play each other so I can listen to Hannah and Foot get after each other. I think that'll be great entertainment. <laughs> yes. And look, I know the Strohs went 12-7, and seven, but... Mariners gave them everything they could handle this season. So I, I look. Let me tell you something. Once the playoffs start, anything is possible. That's right, brother. That's right. Anything is possible. I know you're a Dodgers fan, right? So are you happy about the Mets going to be on your side of the bracket? Uh, you know what? It was going to be tough either way. It's a great thing about the National League this year. Is you know in the American League, your division series, you're going to have two overwhelming favorites in the Astros and Yankees. That's right. Over in, over in the National League, you know, the, the Braves may have to play St. Louis. Uh, the Mets play the Dodgers, and they ain't no guarantees there. Any four of those teams in the National League could win the World Series. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the National League is just absolutely stacked this year. You're right about that. All right, bud, let's put the baseball talk on pause for now. Let's talk about the football team. You and I sat here last week, a week ago this morning, right now, and you know we discussed if they played well, if they showed heart, that would go a long way for you on how you felt about them being able to turn things around and turn a corner this season. They showed a lot of heart. They fought back. They scored late. They lost on a walk-off field goal to South Alabama, who may be the best team in the Sunbelt Conference. What's your thoughts? What's your big takeaways from where the Cajuns are at right now? Well, I thought they took steps forward. Um, I, I think that it was easily the best performance by the offensive line this year. They opened up holes in the running game. Yep. They only allowed one sack. I, I thought overall they played well against a very good defensive front uh, from South Alabama. Nice to see Chris Smith get untracked. Uh, and, and again, I think the O-line deserves some credit for that. And I thought defensively they were solid. Uh, you know, that last drive on that last throw before the field goal, you know, that was a heck of a throw and catch. I mean, that play was well defended. Uh, the other guy just made a play. So, um, you know, I, a, am I happy? Uh, no, because, uh, you know, you're never, you're never happy about an L. But, you know, Tony Robichaux used to say, being results-oriented is the worst thing you can do. you got to trust the process. And I think in this case, the process took a step forward on Saturday. 
Talking to Coach Dez yesterday on the show as well, it, it, it sounded that way to me as well. Like, it, it feels that way to the coaching staff too. Like, they're disappointed. They wanted the win. You always want to get the win. But it sure does feel like they're closer to getting to, to where they need to be for the rest of the way. I agree with you. I liked the offensive line. I thought it was the best performance they've put together so far this season. And uh, they showed some resolve uh, later in, in the game as well, Jay. Now, quarterback play has to get better. We know this. Uh, the, the offense, they're running the ball better. Offensive line played better. Wide receivers, quarterbacks need to get on the same page. How do you fix that? I, I guess is that that's the next question because it's not they're not playing up to what Des wants them to do, um, and he is even admitted to that. How do they fix that? Well, you know, you keep working. That's the only thing you can do. Uh, you know, in this particular game, you know, the guy who played most of the snaps is the guy who's played the least amount of snaps yep. uh, going into that game. Um, I thought Ben did a few good things, especially with his legs. Um, he, he missed some guys. Um, and I, I think that there were a couple of times he didn't get much help, uh, from his teammates, but you know, that is, uh, kind of like the offensive line It's a work in progress. You know, you've got two guys, you know, Ben Wildridge still has not started a collegiate football game. And, um, and you asked him, you know, to go out and, and, and win a game against, uh, you know, one of the best teams in the Sunbelt Conference. So all they can do is keep working. Uh, I believe that as they get more experience, they're going to get better because I see talent there. Um, but that's, you know, that's part of the process as well. Do you think they should, because Chandler's banged up, do you think Ben should get – first team reps here and they just kind of prepare and say hey Chandler you're banged up let's get you healthy and with the extra days they have to prepare for their trip to Marshall just go ahead and let Ben get all the first team reps and see if they can get things on track that way uh, I don't know that that's not what's happening I you know I don't even know how much Chandler's going to practice um, you know this is he couldn't go in the second half and you know Mike said on Monday, if uh, if they were going to play this week, that Chandler wouldn't be ready to go. So I don't even know how many reps he's going to take. Period. Uh, so yeah, Ben's probably going to get the the, the bulk uh, of the reps. And uh, you know the the question that I'm going to ask Coach later in the week, and it's not anything that's going to be for public consumption, but I'm going to ask him later in the week if if Ben can't go. I mean, if Chandler can't go, who's your backup quarterback? I mean that. That's going to be an interesting question to answer. But I'm, um, you know, I would imagine Ben's going to get the bulk of the reps because A, he may have to start, and B, who knows who knows how effective Chandler's going to be or if he can even practice. I mean, I don't know. We're talking with Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, bud, let's talk about special teams because they've won a lot of games the last three or four years because of excellent, not good, but excellent special teams play. And just not with the kicking game, but with the return game and the guys on the special team units tackling, right? That's that's an underrated portion of special teams play. You got a guy back there that can return kicks and score points for you, and he is a special player. 
but the rest of the special teams has been a little shaky. Is that something you think can be fixed as the season is going on? Well, yeah, I do. Um, you know, again, you lost some really good special teams players from last year. Yeah. I mean, you know, Percy, Percy Butler's playing in the NFL, and he covered up a lot of sins. Um, you know, I thought T.J. Wisham was just an outstanding special teams guy. He's gone now. Yeah. So you got, you got new guys in there now. I don't, I don't see the other team returning a bunch of punts. I don't see the other team returning a bunch of kickoffs. Uh, so I, I, while they may not have been quite as good as they were a year ago, I, I think their kick coverage is still good. Um, you know, Gary's been great in the return game. Uh, you know, the Cajuns haven't had a lot of opportunities in kickoff returns because of the amount of, of, of touchbacks. And, and guess what? You know, the issues they have with their place kicking, They've had this for a couple, three years now. So, mm. um, you know, you just, again, you just keep working. You know, I, I felt bad for Kenny because, you know, he missed what basically was a chip shot. Uh, but he also nailed a 51-yarder later in the game. So, you know, uh, good for him on that. It's got to be consistent. Again, you just keep, just keep working. I agree that overall uh, Game Changers is not as explosive and is not as big a part of this team winning as it was a year ago. But, but I don't see that the differences are, like, huge. Um, I think they're more subtle than anything else. Let's talk about the Sun Belt because it is a lot of talented teams this season. And I know right now it's early. The Cajuns find themselves at the bottom of the West Division standings two games in. I get that because they're 0-2. But when I look at the Sun Belt, I see Appalachian State, I see Georgia Southern, I see Coastal. James Madison has made the transition extremely well. They don't get to play for a conference championship, but man, we'll look out for them. Um, Old Dominion, you know, ULM is improved. Marshall is 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 good. Southern Miss looks like they're trying to improve as well. I, I had this conversation with someone the other day, Jay. You know, there's what five bowl tie-ins for the conference this year. I know I know they're trying to work on a sixth. Uh, you could have seven, maybe even eight teams be bowl eligible from the Sunbelt Conference. Just how deep is it now that we're in the conference schedule a couple games in? Uh, I, you know, I think it's deeper. You, don't even, you didn't mention Arkansas State, who I think has taken some steps forward also. That's right. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I think they've got a chance to have – a couple of more eligibles than they have slots. Yeah. But um, but I also think that if if they have more eligible in slots, that they'll find a place for them. You know, I don't think that they're going to be the ones left behind. I think there would be you know, maybe another conference. If you had too many teams, that there would be another conference that might get left behind. I don't think it's going to be the Sun Belt. Um, but, you know, we got a lot of football to play yet. And, you know, Appalachian State, as good as they are, they're a Hail Mary away from being one and three. Um, I, I just think that um, you just got to go out. You got to you got to keep you got to keep fighting week after week after week. And sooner or later, this thing is going to settle out. But we played so few conference games so far that I, I think it's really hard to make any kind of a judgment about uh, about this league or the teams in it. I think the teams are good. 
and I think they've proven that in non-conference play. But um, we'll see what happens now that uh, you know these games mean so much more um, now that conference play has begun, and we'll just see how it shakes out. The stretch coming up, Jay Marshall, obviously on the road, and you got what? You still got Troy as well, Georgia Southern on a Thursday too. So Southern Miss on the road. So you you have a good stretch of quality opponents. No one's. You know, an inferior opponent is going to be all tough games. Does that make the trip to Marshall? I can't believe I'm actually going to ask this, but does that does this make the trip to Huntington next week a must win for the Cajuns? I, you know, I, I I don't know about this must win stuff. You know, fans will tell you every game's a must win. You know, as I as I said uh, earlier, you know, this is more about the process now, and 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 I'm not. I'm not going to be just results. Oh, did you win or did you lose? I want to see this team improve. I want to see this team get better. And if you do that every week, sooner or later, the wins are going to come, whether it's next week or the week after or or whatever. And why do you hate Arkansas State? You just named all of these teams. Cajun's next opponent after Marshall is Arkansas State. Why do you hate the Red I don't. I, don't I got nothing but love for Jonesboro, bud. Richie. I mean, she's a nice lady. <laughs> I got nothing but love for Arkansas State. And Butch Jones was was delightful to talk to at Media Days. No, and 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 that's it. But I, to your point, and that's why I had hesitation to even ask you is, look, I, I know Cajun fans are upset. I, I get it. I understand, but. It's a long season. It's a long yeah. season, and you'll have plenty of opportunities. And, yeah, right now they may, they may look like, oh, they could struggle against some opponents, but you just never do know. You never do know what teams are going to suffer injuries. You never do know what team is all of a sudden going to regress because it happens every single year. Every single year it happens. So there's still plenty of football left to be played for this team to turn things around. I agree with you on that, Jay. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you just got to go play. You got to try to get better every day at practice. I try to get better every time you go out there in the game. Look, this team from a talent standpoint is not what they've been the last couple, three years. We all know that. And guess what? We knew it coming in. That's right. We thought that because the Cajuns had been so good, they could afford to lose a bunch of people and not miss a beat. Well, that's silly on our part. And I say ours because guess what? I was one of them. Um but now you have to realize what you have and realize that the goal now is to go ahead and if i can use a um, if i can use a political thing try try to in the next couple of 3 years build back better um, you that's addressed through the portal and recruiting uh, i think this the the staff has done a great job with the commitments that they have for uh, this December, uh, I, I I think that that's not missing a beat when you get right down to it. So I'm, um, you know, I want to win right away, like everybody else does. But but I have a tendency, as do you, to look at this with a lot less emotion than the average fan does. Correct. You know, I, I we have to be more analytical about these things. We have to look more toward okay, this and this and this, as opposed to, oh, my God, we lost the end of the world is here. Um, so I, I get I get what the fans are saying. I, I understand it. 
But the reality of the situation is this is a process now. It's not just put them out there and win a football game. Well said, brother. Well said. You know what, bud? Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy having the weekend off. Recharge those batteries for that trip over to Huntington, West Virginia, my friend. And we'll talk to you next week, bud. I'll look forward to it. Thanks. Go Cajuns. It's Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, joining us there. we got to take a timeout. When we return, though, oh, there'll be the foodie poll question of the week. Roundtable discussion time. Producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names. Possibly intern extraordinaire Moses Campos. And the legend Steve Wiley. It's time for us to talk candy bars. That's next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Do you think RP3 is the only nickname Ray has? Think again. There was Little Vainant. There was Little Foot, Little Bubba. There was LD, which stood for Little Dufo. There was Ray Dog. There was Ray Diggity Dog. There was Fish. There was Fish Face. There was RP3. There was even Ramundo from El Segundo. Back to the host with more nicknames than he knows what to do with. RP3, right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, tune in tonight from 7 to 8 for the McNeese Coaches Show presented by Maplewood Burgers. Line a bed out of West Lake and Southwest Louisiana Law Center. The great one, Jim Gozzolo, will be talking tonight with head football coach Gary Goff as the McNeese Coaches Show will be broadcasting from the Maplewood Burgers location at 4453 Nelson Road. So tune in tonight for the McNeese Coaches Show right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. It's time for us to have our roundtable discussion about the foodie poll question of the week. We do it every Wednesday at this time. And joining me now inside the game studios, of course, is the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, intern extraordinaire, Moses Campos, and the wild man himself, the legend, Steve Wiley. Now, this week's poll question is inspired by my daughter. She is having her fundraising for dancing. That's right. Hashtag dance dad. And she's selling world's finest chocolate. <sighs> now, that reaction from Steve Wiley is realizing how much money he's already given me for said candy bars that I've brought to the office to sell for the fundraiser. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that stuff. Yeah, it is. It's oh, good. It's man. quite good. It's quite good. Now, that led us to our poll question, though, because we've sold now three boxes, working on box number four. And I'm surprised by the different reactions. I thought for sure, like, milk chocolate and maybe, like, I don't know, almond would be the, the top top sellers, right? Those would be the ones that would go the, the quickest. But that hasn't been the case. Whether it's been here at the office or been in the neighborhood, some people are preferring the dark chocolate. Some prefer the wafer. Some like the crisp, which is like a crunch bar, and so forth. So... Our poll question of the day is, what's your favorite world's finest chocolate bar? Is it milk chocolate? Is it crisp? Is it caramel? Or is it other, which is wafer or almond or dark chocolate? And right now, leading the vote is other with only 27%. 26% say caramel, 26% say crisp, and 21% say milk chocolate. So I'm going to open it up for discussion. I'm going to start with you, wild man. This is hard. And, you know, 
when Hannah got here, because I'm the first one in the building every morning, and then Hannah comes in. So I asked her about it when she got here. I said, you know, what's the poll question? She filled me in. And I've been stewing about this all morning long. Stewing. Yes. Stewing. Stewing. Because, I mean, I love all of them. All right? And so I'm sitting there going, all right, what's my favorite? And I realized that of all the ones that I've bought from you this week, it's all been one of two flavors. It's been the crisp and the milk chocolate. So my favorite is the crisp milk chocolate. (laughs) That's my daughter called earlier into the show. And she said, I asked her the same question and she's like, well, I have two. I'm like, that's not, you, you got to pick one. And she's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm picking two. And she picked milk chocolate and dark chocolate. So you're doing the same thing. Milk chocolate in the crisp yeah. is your go-to. All right. Intern extraordinaire, Moses Campos. When it comes to the world's finest chocolate, what's your go-to, brother? Almond. Almond. See, I do like almond. It's really, really good. And I find theirs to be one of the better ones. Why do you like the almond so much? I just love almond and chocolate. What I usually do is I get one almond and one caramel, and I put them together, and I eat it. So you make a candy bar sandwich? Yeah. Oh, oh that's that good. sounds great. Oh, that's phenomenal. Very good. That's absolutely but phenomenal. But if they run out of caramel, I go crisp. But you're still combining them together? Yes. Oh, that's it. So you go caramel? No, I go almond, caramel, Almond, crisp. caramel. Your, your, your preference is almond. But if you also can get your hands on a caramel, you're going to gonna combine happen. them together. It'll happen. Oh, I love that. I love that. All right, producer extraordinaire. We had Steve say he likes milk, chocolate, and crisp. We've had Moses say it's almond, but if he can combine it with caramel, he will do so to create a candy bar sandwich. You should get that trademark. <laughs> now it's on to you. What's your go-to? So the go-to is definitely milk chocolate because then you can go and you can make your like off-brand Reese's. So I'll like put a little peanut butter on top of the milk chocolate, make a little like Reese's bar myself. But I will eat any of the other bars but the almond. I don't like big nuts in my chocolate. I don't like it in ice cream. I don't like it in chocolate. I don't like it in brownies. I don't like big nuts like the almonds. But I'll eat the almond-covered chocolate Little yeah, little box you sell for like two bucks from World's Finest. I'll eat those, but only the almond chocolate bar. Now, I don't see, know why. Moses is shaking his head to that. You one. don't know what you're missing. <laughs> <laughs> what if what what if Moses decided to present with you to present to you an almond with the caramel combination sandwich that he discussed? Would you try that? Do you think maybe that would change your mind about almond chocolate bars? I think it would, but I couldn't do just the almond by itself. I could probably try and probably end up liking the caramel and the almond, but I can't do the almond by itself. He's You're only insane. been with us for about a month. You're insane. <laughs> You're insane. <laughs> That's just appalling. Ray, just, I think you've lost control like when I, of the when program When I first saw here. the poll question, I said, I said, where's the almond at? And I saw it in other. That's why it was like that. But see, I voted, though, on the poll question. I voted the Chris because Ken doesn't have Twitter. So I voted for Kenneth. I asked him for every poll question for food. I say, what would you prefer? And that's what I'm going to vote because I can say my vote out loud, but he doesn't have a vote because he's on Twitter. So I vote for Twitter for Kenneth. So he says Chris. Did you follow Boom. all of that? I, I did. I followed. She votes, <laughs> she votes for her fiance because Basically. he can't vote for himself. Yeah. So that that's basic, and and Moses is disgusted now with Hannah for her choice yeah. and her you hatred don't of know almond. What you're missing? I love them all. Okay. But 
I voted caramel because I am a sucker for anything chocolate and caramel, candy, ice cream. That's my go-to. But if I had to pick a second, it's almond. I just love Great. a good. You have to combine that. And now that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I, I did bring the candy today, but the one I, I'm going to tell my wife to set aside for us. I'm going to have to have an almond and a caramel, and I'm going to combine them together. And what are we? Are we going to call it the the the, the Moses bar? Ooh, see, we got to come up with a name for it. That way you can trademark and get money. That's right. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Uh, this was great. This was great. And the best part of this discussion was how disgusted Moses was with Hannah for not <laughs> liking almond chocolate bars. I just don't understand. Bars. How are you going to eat the almond-covered chocolate but not the bar? It's the same thing. I don't know. I think it's the ratio maybe that it's is like it's one single almond. And almonds. <laughs> Lord have mercy. <laughs> we got to take a timeout. Thank you to the wild man, Steve Wiley. <laughs> a special big thanks to the intern extraordinaire, Moses Campos. Oh, this has been your best day yet, brother. <laughs> this has been the highlight of my week right here. <laughs> and, the, and the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. When we return here, it'll be time for the Big Easy Blitz. Andrew Juge will join us to talk all things black and gold. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Houdan is ready for Saints talk. The give to Camara. Breaks through. Spins at the two. Into the end zone. Touchdown. Time to talk Saints with the Big Easy Blitz here on RP3 and Company. Don't forget, before we chop it up with our buddy Andrew Juge of the Saints Happy Hour podcast, don't forget, Houston Astros' regular season finale is this afternoon. 3 o'clock first pitch against the Phillies. Regular season finale, your number one seed for the American League playoffs. You can listen to it live right here on the game. First pitch, 3 o'clock. But here's the other thing. Yours truly. RP3, the big, bald, and beautiful one, and Footsie, Kevin Foote, diehard, borderline deranged Houston Astros fan. We'll be going to the game. I've seen him watch games on television. I've seen him talk about his team. I've seen him talk about his team's games. I've never seen him in person at the ballpark watching his Astros play. We will be documenting this on the social media platforms of the game, so make sure to... Keep an eye on that later on this afternoon and early this evening. Because <laughs> it is going to be quite, quite enjoyable. It may not be enjoyable for Footsie, but it will be enjoyable for me, I can guarantee you. Right now, though, it's time for us to head out and welcome on Andrew Juge from the Saints Happy Hour podcast. He joins us now for the Big Easy Blitz Bud, how you doing? Uh, you know, Raymond, I've uh, <laughs> watched a lot of Saints football in my life, and uh, <laughs> this is uh, this is up there in terms of dark times. So uh, I'm doing okay, though. Just okay. But so for you as a lifelong Saints fan, are we nearing Mike Ditka territory here? Are we talking that type of darkness or – do you still hold out some hope here that can turn things around? Because here's the deal. They're only a game back of Tampa. 
because the Bucks are kind of mediocre too. They're only two and two. So it's not as if there's these all these dominant teams in the NFC right now. Right. No, you win your division and you're in the playoffs. And look, uh, I yeah. think eight and nine might win the division this year. That's that's at least in play. So yeah, no, there is everything to play for, and you're right about that. Um, but I don't even think you can really look at it that way uh, because honestly, right now, when you lead the league in penalties and you lead the league in giveaways, uh, you're losing every time. That That is a formula to lose, and uh, the Saints are following that to a T. So right now, I, I think it's really just about winning one game uh, and trying to beat Seattle at home and uh, really looking no further than that because uh, until they fix giving the football away, until they fix the penalties, uh, nothing else really matters. Um, so, you know, this is going to be on Dennis Allen and his staff to figure out, but they need to figure it out fast. Let's talk about that. I thought the offensive line played better. I thought they were better prepared to deal with Minnesota. I thought the defense played better as well, with the exception of Lattimore getting absolutely torched by Jefferson. Like, it was just – I mean, look, Jefferson's a dog, right? He's, he's maybe a top three yeah. wide receiver in the league, so I get it. But for the most part, I thought they played pretty well. The offense played pretty well. Uh, give me your big takeaways. Even though it was a loss, did you see at least improvement from the Saints from top to bottom? Oh, for sure. Look, it, it was a great game. Uh, and look, uh, we talk about it being a game of inches. The ball literally bounces a different way and we're going to overtime. So, um, you know, that, that was about as close as it can get. But you know, obviously you hate to be on the losing side of that and, and for it to be uh, such a heartbreaker. But uh, I think there were a lot of elements in that game that you have to be pleased with. The offense, like you said, moved the ball better than we've seen him move it all season. Uh, they were moving the chains. I thought Andy Dalton was pretty effective, did a good job. And uh, look, I, I think it comes down to small things. And so when you lose a game in the final second, uh, when you're trying to attempt a field goal at the end, you really kind of go back and you look at all the mistakes. And if you just change one of them, that could be the difference in the game. And so uh, they, they were really that close. And I think that's the silver lining. As you look at these four weeks, the Saints could easily be 0-4, but they could easily be 4-0. You know, that's the other way to look at it. And when you talk about leading the league in penalties and, and giveaways, they've lost the turnover battle in all four games. That if you can clean that stuff up, it's not like they're getting blown out. It's not like the doors are getting blown off. They, they're in all these games. They're there for the taking. And so I think it's going to be important for the Saints to clean that stuff up. And if they do, I think they can maybe turn the tide here and go on a run. So, uh, that, but, but I don't take that lightly. It's, it's hard to fix that stuff when, when you're kind of hemorrhaging mistakes. So uh, we'll see where it goes from here. But I did see improvement. I'll tell you, the biggest concern for me moving forward, because I do think, look, whether it's Jameis Winston or Andy Dalton, I, I think the offense proved that they can be more effective and – you know, hopefully you get Alvin Kamara back, you get Andrews Pete back, you get Michael Thomas back in time. I think you'll have even more weapons to be more effective offensively. I think defensively they're missing some tackles, making mistakes here and there, but overall they're playing at a pretty good level. Uh, to me, the biggest concern is special teams. And, and while it was great to see Lutz really uh, kind of turn the screws and, and just really bolt two kicks, um, and one went in, obviously, from 60. One was very close from 61. Overall special teams, I mean, you talk about you give up a huge return and then you have a personal foul, 15 yards on top of that, late hit out of bounds. Uh, consistently either leaving punch short or out kicking your coverage. 
allowing big returns there. The, re- the return game is a mess. Uh, Will Lutz on the season is four of seven. So I look at the special teams unit and Raymond, I got to be honest, it's the worst in the league right now. And, and that's actually, you know, if you, if you look at the metrics, DVOA, if you look at kind of advanced statistics and analytics, uh, the Saints special teams is the worst in the league, dead last. So they have to improve that because uh, you're already dealing with suspect officiating. You're dealing with a suspect offense. You can't have the worst special teams in the league on top of that. Andrew Juge of the Saints Half Hour Podcast joins us here on RP3 and Company for the Big Easy Blitz. Let's talk about that officiating. Uh, the hands to the face that they called on Tyron, I, I just I, I don't know what they saw. I, I really don't. Look, and you know this, I'm not a Saints fan. So I, I look at this objectively. I do not believe that there is a, a, a conspiracy against the Saints. I just believe it's incompetency by officiating and we've talked about this before but man it's hard to argue with the guys that feel like the league has it out for them when you see the penalty thrown against Tyron which had no business being thrown and then they come out yesterday and say hey there was a couple egregious calls in the game that went against the Saints that should have been called well why are they being called to begin with that's my that's my bigger issue here is why is this continually happening week after week after week, seemingly against the Saints. You know, it's uh, Raymond, I I know that you don't necessarily agree with this, but at some point, I think you have to ask yourself, do the officials have an ax to grind with the Saints? And, you know, since 2018, and you would kind of go back to the no call, right? And uh, that that was a Super Bowl changing call. Yes. And Sean Sean Payton was very upset about it. Uh, He had a rule change in the offseason to address it. Uh, that rule lasted one year, that new rule, which was reviewing pass interference. Uh, every time that was challenged, very seldom was that call overturned. So I think that was ref- officials being stubborn and annoyed that they had to review it because they felt like it was a judgment call. Uh, the subsequent year it gets overturned because it didn't work. And so now pass interference is no longer reviewable again. But I wonder if there was kind of some residual resentment towards Sean Payton and the Saints. I was hopeful that on the other side of Sean Payton leaving the Saints, maybe that would go away with it and we would see less calls go against the Saints. But look, here's a stat, Raymond, and, and this is fact. So you know, take it for what it is. But the Saints lead the league in, since 2018 in most games where they have 10 or more penalties. Oof. Now, you could, you could argue maybe it's an undisciplined team. Maybe they're just causing more infractions and so that that's just a reflection of their discipline okay fair enough i would accept that now consider this stat teams that have fewer than 10 penalties against the saints first in the nfl the least amount the team that that benefits the least in the entire league from 10 or more penalties since 2018 is the saints and i mean are you telling me that on average every team that plays the saints has the most discipline and the Saints have the least every time they play someone. So I think that that's a telling stat. And uh, I, 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 I would agree that to that. Way, you, you ha- and I think you what also has happened, Andrew, is the, 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 the rightfully so, the complaining that happened after the NOLA no call and the, the outrage about it. But I also think because you have no accountability with the officials, these are essentially part-time guys that have a full-time job that come in and officiate on the weekends, 
look, if they have one bad experience with the Saints, and let's say they get called out for being bad officials or they missed a call or something like that, these guys tend to stick together, right? They tend to get each other's back. They're already going to have a preconceived notion about the Saints being undisciplined, and it feels like they're going to be more inclined to throw the flag against them because of that, because of the reputation. Yeah, you, you wonder if there's baggage coming in that is kind of influencing these calls. Absolutely. Uh, but but look, at the end of the day, at, at some point, someone needs to pay attention to this besides just the Saints or New Orleans media. And, um, you know, I think it's it's fallen on deaf ears a lot. But I, I will say it, you know, in, in the modern era with screenshots and the ability to kind of put the evidence out there and the Matthew call in particular to me was one of the worst calls I've ever seen. Oh, it was terrible. Um, and, it, was awful. it was terrible. And look, I, 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 the opening touchdown that the Vikings score third and 15, uh, they don't get flagged for an eligible re- receiver downfield for a blocker that gets out in front and makes a block on that play. And then it gets called on the saints about three or four plays later on Cesar Ruiz. And if you look at those screenshots next to each other, they look identical. So why are the Saints getting flagged for that and not the Vikings? Uh, and so the lack of consistency is frustrating. You and I have talked about this before uh, when I when I joined you on y'all's podcast. It, I think what the Nola No Call did is for at least for officials in the NFL that the Saints very much have a reputation of being kind of like the new Raiders, I, and I, you know, how the NFL got so frustrated with the Raiders and tried to quiet them all the time and kind of came against them it kind of feels like the same way with the Saints just to a, a different degree but that's what it kind of feels like all right but only got like a minute left Sunday's game against Seattle Geno Smith and company they're playing better than a lot of us expected them they're two and two but all the NFC feels like they're two and two is Sunday's game against the Seahawks inside the dome is that a must win uh, you know, I, I hesitate to ever call a game a must-win, especially when you got 13 left and you're one game out of first place. But uh, man, they need to turn things around, and it would be huge to pick this one up. Uh, Seattle, man, I got to tell you, they they feel like 2007, 2008 Saints, and I, I never thought I would say this about them, but their defense is the worst in the league. They're terrible. Actually, they're ranked 31st, but they absolutely horrible defensively and offensively. They're terrific. Geno Smith is playing better football than Russell Wilson. I know. Uh, so maybe maybe they upgraded uh, by by making that switch. But yeah, Geno Smith is playing great football. Uh, they've been in a lot of shootouts based on how they're built, and so it's going to be interesting because the Saints look. This is like the best defense they could face right now, considering how poor they've been offensively, and then defensively, if they can slow Seattle down a little bit, maybe they have a good shot in this one. But yeah, this the Seattle team. You know, they were they used to be so good defensively. And I just feel like now that's completely flipped and they're kind of in that Sean Payton era where the defense couldn't stop anyone, but they were scoring at will. And uh, so that, that, that's what they feel like right now. And I feel sorry for them because that's, that's a tough place to be. All right, bud, the trash stash that you're growing, is that because the Saints haven't won a game? Is that going to get shaved once they win? Uh, you know, this is like three weeks for me. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Um, we'll see. If they win, then, yes, I, I will finally shave. But, uh, you know, look, maybe the officials – it's got to happen at some point, right? The officials, like, give the Saints a horrendous call and we're the beneficiary of it. I'm, I'm thinking that that's this week. I love it. I love it. Brother, keep up the tremendous work. We'll talk to you next Wednesday, bud. Appreciate it. Thanks. We got to take our final time out. When we come back, we'll finalize the poll question of the day and get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. It's all coming up next right here on the game. 
Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Just a reminder, the Astros wrap up the regular season this afternoon against the Philadelphia Phillies. First pitch is set for 3 o'clock, and you can listen to all the action live right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And once that wraps up, the McNeese Coaches Show will take over. Presented by Maplewood Burgers, line of bed out of Westlake and Southwest Louisiana Law Center. Jim Gozzolo will be talking tonight with head football coach Gary Goff as the McNeese Coaches Show will be broadcasting live from Maplewood Burgers there at 4453 Nelson Road. Swing by and say hi to Coach and to Jim Gozzolo if you're in the area. Or you can just tune in and listen to the McNeese Coaches Show right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. That'll be from 7 to 8 o'clock tonight. I want to take a moment to thank our guests, Ron Higgins from Tiger Details, Jay Walker, the voice of the Raging Cajuns, and Andrew Juge of the Saints Happy Hour podcast. Final results of the foodie poll question of the week, which is our poll question of the day every single Wednesday. What's your favorite world's finest chocolate bar? Coming in late, winning it with 27% of the vote. Crisp. 25% of the vote goes to caramel, 25% for milk chocolate, and 23% for other, which is wafer, almond, or dark chocolate. Thanks for all who voted. Thanks for all who commented on our foodie poll question of the week. That's going to do it for Steve Wiley, Moses Campos, and Miss Hannah. Five names. I'm Raymond Parch the third. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.